Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Error monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com ChangeLog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Rollbar is real-time error monitoring, alerting, and analytics that helps you resolve production errors in minutes. And I talked with Paul Baker, the founder of CircleCI, a trusted customer of Rollbar, and he says they don't deploy a service without installing Rollbar first. It's that crucial to them. We operate at serious scale, and literally the first thing we do when we create a new service is is we install Rollbar in it. Like we, we need to have that visibility, uh, and without that visibility, it would be impossible to run at the scale we do, and certainly with the number of people that we have. Like we're a relatively small team operating a major service, and without the visibility that Rollbar gives us into our exceptions, it just it just wouldn't be possible. All right, to start deploying with confidence, just like Paul and the team at CircleCI, head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stukoviak. On today's show, Jared and I are talking with Max Coute. Max is 16 and lives in a small village in France, and one day, he and his friends decided to build an Oculus because they couldn't afford one. And this show takes you through Max's journey of learning the math and the programming required to do such a thing, how his teacher, also known as Sensei, made all the difference, and how the chief architect at Oculus, Atman Binstock, advised him to make it all open source. So Max, we're pretty excited because you live in a small village in France. I'm gonna tell some of your story for you. And you say you're the only teenager. You've got a teacher who you call Sensei and a buddy that you pulled into this. And this is this open source project around VR. And the headline here is we couldn't afford an Oculus, so we built one. That's the yeah. that's the tip of this whole story. How did this begin? What's the backstory? Okay. Um the, the fact that uh, I'm really into computer science is a bit new because uh, when I was young, I was more into art and music. And when I went to middle school, uh, I completely fell in love with mathematics. Uh, I was just so fascinated about it. Uh, at the end of each course of mathematics, I was going to talk with my teacher, uh, Jérôme Dieudonné, and I was always asking him for more because he was those kind of teacher that really make you feel so passionate about uh, the subject he teach. And every single course of math that he was giving was a crazy experience because he was opening me each time some kind, even some kind of really basic things about math. He was doing it in a way that express math. You, you can feel that he is really passionate about math. Mm. And I think after one year uh, learning math with him, it, it, even sometimes uh, I was not going in French course or stuff like that. And I was going in his course of math uh, mm. instead of going to the other one. And after one year, I think, uh, he started teaching me about computer science. Wow. So it began with math. Yeah. A passion for math, a teacher who was willing to invest in you. Then what's the, what was your entrance into computer science? I don't know if it's like the common path, but uh, I asked him a question about, I think it was um, the evolution and growing of uh, a couple of rabbits. <laughs> and what happened if you start adding uh, some constant and some variable to this population of rabbits? And it just told me like, Okay, I will show you something. You can do this using this with a sheet. Like, just go to Google Sheet and you can do this this way and you can see how, how the population is growing and 
change mm. the variables and basic stuff. Interesting. And then he told me, but th th there is another way to do it that is better because you are not limited by the number of Ks and you, you can edit it more easily and I, I think you will like it. Huh. Mm -hmm. Just tomorrow, um, go to my class and I will show you. Wow. And I say, okay. And I was like super excited. <laughs> and he, he said, look, this uh, is called Python. And he started showing me how Python work. And I remember that we wrote this little code about evolution and growing of population and having fun with some variables to add and, and adding other species and rules for all species interact with each other. And then he told me like, you know what? Next week, come on Monday in my classroom. And the next week I came and there were other students. I remember it was Gabriel and Jonas. These are your buddies now. These are your, these are your partners yeah. in this project. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And basically the, the, those two guys were the other two. Uh, because, you know, in France, there's some kind of um, like a placement. Yeah. <laughs> um, is this does this word exist in English? <laughs> like a classmate, like somebody you go to class with? Uh, no. Um, Did you say assessment? No, I mean that some kind of it, it's not public, but there is also some kind of list where you can see who have the best grades in math and stuff like that. Uh, okay, mm. but it's not public. But every student know who is the best in math. And who is the best in French? Um, how do they know if it's not if it's not public? How do how do you find out? Be, be, because um, when teacher uh, give back uh, her work, everyone is asking, "Hey, which grades do you have?" And th there is this kind of feelings that everyone know that this guy is the math guy, this guy I is see. the French guy. So you get a reputation. Yeah, exactly, and. Me, Gabriel, and Jonas. Jo Jonas, that's fun because Jonas was the Latin guy because he was studying Latin. Uh, the French guy because he was like better than everyone in French. The math guy because in his class he was the best in math. And basically same for Gabriel. And, but by the way, the, the funny thing is that my middle school was a really little one, but uh, that was the first time that I met them. Hmm. So you basically, your buddies are, are top of the class and interested in mathematics. And your, yeah. your teacher, Jer Jerome, as my, as my anglicized way of saying it, uh, which you call him sensei, I can see why. <laughs> he gets you guys going in math and then... He basically kind of tricks you into computer science yeah. with spreadsheets, yeah. right? Like he, he basically shows you yeah. a spreadsheet, which, which is interesting because spreadsheets and, you know, I guess in the, in the corporate world, Excel is very much a gateway drug for many people. Definitely. Into programming. But many of those people have to live in Excel and in spreadsheets and feel the constraints for years until somebody opens their eyes and says, did you know if you use Python, for instance, or, you know, insert scripting language here, for instance, you can do, you know, these things that you've been banging your head against in Excel, and that leads people into, into programming. But for you, it happened almost immediately because he teased you with Excel. And then he said, come back on Monday and yeah. I'll show you, <laughs> I'll show you something amazing. And what a, what a great teacher. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the teacher that have the most impact in my life. Well, if you're out there and you're a teacher and, and you're listening to this, you can see probably through the rest of this call the impact you can have on somebody's life if you invest. So keep yes. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I met them. Um, and like, we kick it. What is the expression? Uh, we eat it off. <laughs> you guys hit it off. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we fast become best friends. And each weekend, uh, we started working on little things. And soon, Sensei said, okay, I, I can teach you the basics about C. I, I, I just heard about this robotic contest. Uh, do, do you want to apply? And because of this, Sensei created some kind of robotic club and we started competing in robotic contests. So that, that was when you were 13 years old, correct? And now you're, you're 16. So you've been doing computer science by way of this robotics club for about three yeah. years. Yeah. Um, that, that was an amazing, an amazing time because we started with really basic things like Arduino and those kind of projects are really fun because you can fast uh, start working on really fun stuff and act that and like improve them really fast. And basically we ended up building some really fun robots and drones and stuff like that. And th this is basically how we started really working a lot together. It's interesting. You, so you had some time to, to kind of get to know one another as, as friends, but then also as like, as peers, you know, in terms of your skill set around math and computer science and programming and working with hardware and creating software, you've, you've had some time to kind of experiment and get to know one another. And then eventually this VR thing came around. What, uh, how far down the line is that? Like, when did you start to experiment with the, with what we're currently talking about, which is relative? Um, it was approximately one year ago. Um, to be exact, the, the, the story is that two years ago, we started working for one of the biggest robotic contests in France. And we made this project, which was some kind of really like when i when i say that people are like whoa this is crazy but it wasn't it was just a really simple operating system that was connected to really basic hardware that you can use to control your house uh, device like for instance it was like a little box with a pin for a serial communication and you can just plug servo motors and some solar panel and use the servo motor to control solar panel and with the little operating system implement fast some script to control the solar panel or stuff like that uh, it, it was a little project but it was really fun to make and We've done some contests and like after doing it, we were like, okay, so this project was really fun, but now we need to find another project. Mm. And I, I think it was the wrong way to approach this, just sitting and say, we have to find something else. So we, and doing this, we started to have some really bad idea. <laughs> Um, like, hey, we can build some kind of drones that we will control with this and, and then this and some kind of fun brainstorm where you can have some crazy and really bad idea. And um, we decided that we, we will watch again Sword That Online, which is one of my favorite anime. Did you have watched this anime? Say the name again. Sword Art Online. No, I've never heard of it. Tell us. It's an anime where the main character, Kirito, uh, is using a VR headset and he is plunged into a role-play video game. Mm. So, we're within a world. Hmm. <laughs> and we saw it and we were like, oh, we need to build or own virtual world and spend time after school in this virtual world and <laughs> creating some kind of VR experience of World mm. of Warcraft 
where we could spend hours and hours. Life imitates art. You see art, you experience it. Art being sword art online, right? The, you you mm. you consume this art, yeah. which is this this show, and then you it it compels you to then say, "I want to do something similar to that." And so VR mm. is a next step for you. So it's an example of life imitating art. Yeah. That's interesting how like, you know, they're looking for the next idea and it's like, hey, here's our favorite anime. And in this anime, the main character is experiencing his world or his or her world via VR. And, you know, whatever the storyline is, they're like, hey, we should create a VR world. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Like, how often do you do that, Jared? Like, do you just like, get I've never done friends? that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. See, I live, I live vicariously through That's people right. like Max because I'm sitting here. My takeaway so far is I should go back to school and have a bunch of free time. Mm. That would be awesome. That's my current takeaway. Be curious. Yes. But um, the the hiccup here with your idea of let's let's live in a VR world, Max, is you guys could not afford an Oculus, right? That that's the yeah. That's the punchline there. Yeah, exactly. Because we just sit down and say, okay, so what we need to do is buy an Oculus and learn unity and start creating our games but the first step was just impossible <laughs> and <laughs> and i remember i was like okay so oh can we find this money to buy an oculus and gabriel said well maybe it could be easy to build the vr headset ourselves <laughs> and wow. i said Yes, that will be easier. <laughs> which I, <laughs> yes, that will be easier to build the headset, uh, which in fact wasn't true, <laughs> but it was a lot more fun. How much is an Oculus cost? Um, it's like 600 euro. Okay. Something like that. I'm not sure because the price uh, went down recently. So it's about for US dollars, about 750 bucks US dollars, 600 euros yeah. is around that much. So, you guys thought that building your own would be easier than somehow scratching together 600 euro? <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I, he, he said that, and I was like, yeah, it's just a screen and some components, and yeah, w we can do that <laughs> like next week. <laughs> Um at this time, we had no idea about how VR works. And we just asked ourselves, okay, so we will build the headset ourselves. So what is the most fundamental things about a VR headset? And uh, the most fundamental things about a VR headset is that it tracks your movement and your position. And knowing that, we just said, okay, so we need a component that will help us knowing the position and the movement of the player. And it turns out that the most efficient component to do that was using a magnetometer, an accelerometer, and a, a gyroscope. So we buried them and we started try them and say, oh, okay, so this is how this component works, this is how this one, and, and, and after, I think, one weekend playing with them, we just said to Sensei, okay, so we have this component, uh, we are able to get acceleration and absolute position using magnetometer, and now we want to use this to have the position of the player. So how can we do that? So this is the original teacher going back to like, hey, we've gotten so far. We've kind of hit a bottleneck on how to actually know where the person is in the world. And now you're back to math, finding out algorithms that, that help you figure out what, what the person's placement is or, or whatnot. Is that right? Yeah. And we say that and you say, okay, so I will teach you uh, about antiderivatives. And so we started learning about antiderivatives and acceleration and proper acceleration and then a bit about quaternion and we started going 
each time a little deeper about those concepts in math. And I think we spend like two months learning about this math concept hmm. and dig into them and do some exercise and really just focus on the math side. And then we said, okay, so this is how it works. So now let's find some good open source library to do that because it seems that it's something that is like, it's something that have already been done a lot of time and it, we program it in Python. We create some funny things with antiderivatives and stuff like that to have the position. And we even create like some quaternion to other angles and a lot of funny algorithm. But then we, we started implementing this. And that was the, the first part, uh, implementing those algorithms, which was not as hard as learning the math concept. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Everything we do here at Changelog is hosted on Linode cloud servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location, and in minutes, deploy your Linode cloud server, drool-worthy hardware, native SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, VMs for full control running Docker containers, encrypted disks or VPNs, 99.9% .9 uptime guaranteed, 24-7 customer support, 10 data centers, 3 regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. They also have cloud.linode.com which is an open source single page application. Find that at github.com slash linode slash manager. Plans start with one gig of RAM for five bucks a month or high memory plans at 16 gigs. Head to linode.com slash changelog and get four months free with their basic server, $20 in hosting credit. Once again, linode.com slash changelog. So Max, the first step in building this thing was to figure out how to manage all the math required to detect location and distance and the physics and all that. And so it's pretty cool. Your teacher is basically using this VR headset project as a laboratory to teach you all kinds of math concepts, uh, even ones that I haven't heard of before, like Quaternion, which apparently he's an expert in. Um, and I'm just, I'm just now finding it on Wikipedia saying, hmm, but it actually exists. Interesting. <laughs> yes. He's an expert and you, you're just finding it out. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. Tell us how you then, and, and what was interesting to me about that was you, what you found out as you would go and learn the math, apply it to the code, is that that was actually easier to implement and to get done than you thought it was going to be, which is always great when, you know, the light bulb moments happen. Tell us the next step once you get past those difficult concepts, you have some things working in the code. Where'd you go from there to get to a to a finished product? Yeah, um, it teaches those math concepts in a way that is really useful. You give a course, then we do some exercise to be sure that we really understand the concept. And then we try to called everything that we think that we understand just to be sure that we really master the concept. And we've done this with the first component, the first accelerometer. And after having playing with it and implementing some little thing, we switch from a component that is the MPU and that have a DMP that does all the calculation and send us the quaternion. So to be honest, we could have directly by this component 
and use it with some documentation and build the headset without knowing anything about the math concept behind. But we felt like we need to understand the math black boxes inside of this component. And I really feel like it was necessary to understand this math. And if you don't know about those math concepts, you can build the headset, you can improve it, you can even do better than us. You can improve it in a way that we won't think about. Uh, but we learn those math concepts just because it was a pleasure. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the component that we bought, uh, the MPU, it, basically it does all the calculation for us. Because in fact, um, that will be a little bit hard to explain with language barrier, but I will, I will try. What an accelerometer do is that it only detects acceleration. And what is acceleration? If you took a graph and you look at position and time, and you draw the function of position and time, and you search for the derivative function of position by time, you have what is called the speed. And if you look for the derivative function of speed, you have the acceleration. And to go back to the position, you have to do two antiderivatives uh, on the acceleration to have the position. And doing that, there is some drift happening because of how antiderivative works. And all of this, uh, those two derivatives, it took a lot of calculation. So there is inside of the component a part that is specialized only to do that. And the headset, the core headset, only asks the component for the result of this computation. And the component sends us the quaternion. And, and we send, basically, we send them to the game. So there's a, on your readme, which we'll, we should include this image in our show notes, is a, a nice picture of all the components laid out there on a table. And yeah. the one that you're talking about that does the, the accelerometer is the, uh, the MPU, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you learn all of the math to do that, and you understand how to calculate acceleration. But in the end of the day, am I hearing you right that this MPU is basically giving you those readings for free? <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, the, the MPU send us the angle in quaternion. Mm -hmm. And what we learn is how to do this. But the MPU already do this. <laughs> okay, so that's nice. Yeah. Maybe just to throw that in there too, we'll go over cost later, but like that's a dollar based on your components list is that the MPU is a dollar. Yeah. So like, that's a lot of functionality for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I, could get, <laughs> if I could get that for a dollar, why wouldn't you? Yes. This is intense math too. This is not like sensei is a master, of course, but uh, you know, right. it's, it's not easy math. Easily packaged math though. You can package it up and sell it for a dollar. That's, that's called leverage right there. That Pretty is. Cool. Great. So uh, keep going now. Get us to a, to a working uh, deal because we want to go through the components list and the pricing. And we want to hear the story about, was it Jonas that uh, got some discount products by talking to some manufacturers and stuff. So keep going down this path. Get us to where you guys finally hit pay dirt or finally had success. So uh, after having done this, we started working on the game rendering part. We've done this in Unity because the actual SDK is only compatible with Unity, but we will release one for Unreal soon. And after some times working on the headset and having creating the first prototype, we discovered that 
we called Help Democratize VR. We had a lot of fun, but what we've done wasn't useless, and it could help some other people to democratize VR. Hmm. And the thing is that, like every other technology, the two main aspects to democratize VR, I think, are our price and content. For example, if you look at the mouth, uh, the democratization of mouth is due to those two things. Uh, the price of mouse, uh, I think it went from $300 in Xerox Lab to something like $15 in Apple's One. So that is for the price aspect. And mm -hmm. the other aspect for democratizing something uh, is the content. And for the mouse, it's the fact that it becomes feasible to create GUI application to use the mouth inside of them. And for VR, it's a, a bit the same. Uh, the first step for the democratization of VR is the price. And I think we could help on this because our headset is a lot more affordable than an Oculus. And for the content, we we try to create some kind of easy SDK for let developers create their their game easily. Let's start with the component prices, since you said the first part of this democratization is price, right? Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about what you've come up with, um, because uh, the pitch on the you know in this in the description of the project is build your own VR headset for a hundred bucks which, yeah. as we stated before, an Oculus uh, in U.S. dollars is about 750 as the time of recording. Let's talk about the individual components, because you do list them out, and we can add them up, and we can see where the price all comes in, because 100 bucks is quite a lot cheaper than you know, 750 um, Yeah. What all do you need? What are the different parts, and how much do they cost? Yeah. Um, the first one is the Arduino Duo which is basically the core of the headset. The Arduino Duo is a bit expensive. It's like $10 for a Chinese clone. But we chose this one because when we decided to put the project open source, we wanted to have a component that was easy to use and easy to understand for a lot of people. And Arduino has this, uh, like, most of the people know about Arduino and they are comfortable with this. So even if an Arduino Duo is a bit expensive, it was some kind of obvious choice to make the headset more easy to build. Mm. It's not only expensive, it's also currently sold out. If you go to Arduino's <laughs> website, uh, $37.40 currently sold out. Yeah, but uh, uh, we, we don't buy the official one because there are like, too much uh, expensive. So uh, the knockoffs are you're saying is about ten bucks. Yeah, for a Chinese clone. Chinese clone, ten bucks. Okay, so um, so there's ten. What else? What else goes into this? And then there is the MPU, uh, which is one dollar uh, on eBay. Okay. And then. I just noticed that the, the link in the GitHub is the wrong one, but there is the screen, which is the most expensive part. Mm. And the issue with this part is that the price varies a lot. Yeah, do some shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it the 5.5 because of the, the housing hardware that you've chosen to? Like if you wanted to do a 7-inch screen, you could do a 7-inch if you could manage that, but you're specking a 5.5 based on your kit. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is that some people on the fellowship who created some kind of, who created a server on Discord, which we called the fellowship of OpenVR. And some nice. people... <laughs> <I guess. laughs> the thing as I always say is that it's like the fellowship of the ring, but without Soren but with Sensei. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys, you guys are full of the references. I like that. So the fellowship <laughs> of the open VR, this is a, a discord group that you have going. Yeah. I think it's linked down at the very bottom of this readme too. And it does say that yeah. chat with me and the fellowship. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to hang out with Max and the fellowship, check out the discord link at the bottom of the readme. Some people uh, bought some 4K screen, which are a lot more expensive yeah. than 2K screen. But they mm -hmm. were like, yeah, but I can choose the spec of my headset. And it's like, and some people buy a screen with lower resolution mm -hmm. and some find some middle spec screen for like, $15 and you have to do some shopping and it's a bit hard to find the really the screen that you want. Have you found a difference in like the resolution playing a part in the quality of the experience? Like is a less than 2K or even a 4K screen, does it make the difference since your eyes are so close to the screen? I haven't tested 4K screen, but the comparison between full uh, HD and 2K, I think, uh, and this is why I recommend this screen, mm -hmm. that a 2K screen uh, is... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm searching the, the American expression for it, like when something has the right price. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, what is that word? Affordable. Yeah, but... I was searching for another one. Ah, I have the French expression, but not the American one. Say it in French. Let's hear how it sounds in French. Yeah, in French we say, cela vaut le coup. Okay. Oh, perfect. I, I think that means perfect price. That's yeah. how I translate that, the perfect price. <laughs> yeah. Best bang for your buck. That's what I would say. There you go, Jared. So 2K screen. Yeah, so... 2K is a bit more expensive, but this price comes with a better resolution, and this better resolution makes the experience really better. And the final component is the at least what I can see here is is Fresnel lenses. Yeah, and <laughs> I just noticed that once again Fresnel lenses are the the, the one that we recommend is three dollar but you can find a cheaper one. Uh, the reason why we recommend this one is that this is the one that we bought and we are absolutely sure that th there is no issue with them. And those are built in Europe, I think. So the time travel for them is really different than if you bought them from Hong Kong. But you, you can find some Fresnel lenses for $1. Mm. So I'm doing the math over here on the on the low end and on the high end, just following along. And if you go Arduino Do and go high end and you go with the most expensive available 2K screen on AliExpress, you're only hitting about 150 high end. Low end, if you go mm -hmm. Chinese clone and you find the cheaper one on AliExpress, you're looking at like maybe $55 US. Yeah. So even cheaper than you guys are advertising is if you can get at the best deals. Yeah, but those kind of deals uh, are, we just want to be sure that uh, yeah. we don't want to sell it too much. <laughs> sure, yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm just pointing out that maybe it's even better than we think it is. <laughs> uh, what he's saying is too is it's accessible. And there's a lot of people out there who is like, I just want to tinker. And I don't want to mm -hmm. tinker and, and spend a thousand dollars on tinkering. I just want to spend maybe a hundred bucks or 200 bucks mm. or, you know, whatever in euros, you know, like 50. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's pretty interesting is that, you know, you can have some fun, tinker a little bit, play with some open source and it doesn't have to cost you a ton of money. And it's, you know, it's something you could do with, you know, kids, you know, in the case of sensei, a student, you know, you can have some fun with this and it's accessible to people. Mm -hmm. So on, on the second side, of your democratization of VR, you mentioned content. So you say yeah. you, you think you can help with price and we know here we have a list of parts and instructions and you can put it together yourself and it will cost you anywhere from 50 to $150 US. What about the content side? How are you bringing that to more people? Yeah. Um, 
actually, uh, we will release soon a, a big update about relative and the core of relative. But the current version uh, came with fast VR, which is an SDK for Unity that help you create VR games like really easily. And the SDK is really easy to understand and to customize. And I'm not sure that it will increase the number of VR games, but I truly hope that somehow some developers will be interested in the fact that this SDK is fully open source and it will in some way help to create VR content. But actually the most interesting things about Relative is that it's compatible with Relative game and soon we will release uh, the update that will make Relative fully compatible with Steam VR. And what it means is that you will be able to play some Oculus or HTC games with it. Awesome. Which could help a lot because if there is no content that is relative compatible, it's okay. You just launch the, the little software and then you can run some Steam VR games. And if you're a developer, and you don't want to use Steam VR technology, but you want your games to run on your relative, you can compile your games to be native compatible with relative. Very cool. So if I'm understanding this correctly, Fast VR is your open source SDK that works with relative yeah. to create VR games in Unity. Yeah, exactly. In addition to that, so that will help people to create content for it, right? Yeah, and I hope. <laughs> you hope, right? In addition to that, you're modifying relative so that it will work with Steam VR. Yeah, exactly. Is, it, is that via some sort of emulation? How is it accomplishing that? Uh, um, in fact, uh, thanks to the fellowship because uh, they help a lot. What we do is that there is a very cool project that is OSVR, that is an open HDK for VR headset. And we find OSVR can be connected to Steam VR thanks to some plugin. And we just find a way to connect relative to OSVR. And by connecting relative to OSVR and connecting OSVR to Steam VR, <laughs> the, it, it works. <laughs> Looking to learn more about the cloud or Google Cloud Platform? But you don't know where to begin? Check out the Google Cloud Platform weekly podcast at gcbpodcast.com, where Google developer advocates Melanie Warwick Hello. and myself, Mark Mandel, answer questions, get in the weeds, and talk to GCP teams, customers, and partners about best practices from security to machine learning, Kubernetes, open source, and more. Listen to gcppodcast.com and learn what's new in cloud in about 30 minutes a week. Hear from technologists all across Google, like Vince Cerf, Peter Norvig, and Dr. Fei Fei Li, all about lessons learned, trends, and cool things happening with our technology. Every week, gcppodcast.com takes questions submitted by our audience, and we'll answer them live on the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast at gcppodcast.com, follow us on Twitter at gcppodcast, or search for Google Cloud Platform Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're having this conversation, Max, is because one, it's a cool subject and your story is super cool. But on the flip side, you've open sourced everything. And, and through yeah. this journey, you know, you've got to uh, level up your math skills, make some new friends, play with some cool new tech, potentially even say it's bleeding edge tech, uh, and in a lot of ways innovate. But then you've also gotten to meet people from the Oculus team. And I believe it was yeah. um, Atman, is that how you say his name? From the Oculus team? Atman Binstock. Yeah. From Oculus. Chief architect. 
the chief architect. Yeah, the, the, I mean that's a that's a big title. And that person said, "Hey, uh, nice to meet you. Cool thing. You should open source it. Can you kind of wind that out into the real story? What was that like? How did you get to uh, meet that person? <laughs> it, yeah, how did yeah. you meet him?" In fact, the the real story is a bit more complicated. Okay. Um, it always is. So the real story is that I became obsessed with democratizing VR. And I was wondering what is the best way to do that. And one of the things uh, I thought was to create a Kickstarter and setting up a company. And I was like, so <laughs> I'm 16. I have no idea of how to launch a company. So I called, emailed uh, Usama Amar, which is the co-founder of The Family, which is uh, an investment firm in Europe, which is the European equivalent of Y Combinator. Hmm. And I just sent a mail saying, hey, I'm 16, I've built my own VR headset with my best friends and my math teacher. Uh, can we meet? <laughs> and he responded in less than one minute, he just responded, yes, see you in Paris. What? <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> and th th this day was funny, was funny because I've chosen three people, two billionaires and the co-founder of these investment firms, I've sent them a mail, just like, who know what can happen? <laughs> I will just send them this and I, I risk nothing. And they respond. <laughs> All three of them? Uh, yeah, but only one of them accepted to meet me. Mm. And he's just said, yes, meet me in Paris. <laughs> well, how do, you, how do you know where in Paris to meet and when and how? Um, it was in the local of the family Paris. Okay. And I, I just went there with my father <laughs> and we arrived and we say, hi, uh, I have a meeting with, uh, I think he's one of the CEO of the company. <laughs> and they say, okay. Uh, and oh, how old are you? Oh, I'm 16, and I just go back from high school. <laughs> and they were like, oh, wait, we we look at his shriddle, and we don't see anything with you. What is your name? And I said, ah, I'm Maxim. You, you know, he said yes to the mail. <laughs> and they were like, no, <laughs> no, oh, no, we don't have anything plain. And, and I was like, oh, what happened? And then Usama Amar arrived. And he saw me and he said, hey, are you the high school guy? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he said, come on. <laughs> and he, he came, he said hello to my father, hello to me. And we start talking. <laughs> wow. And, That's so cool. And we just sat and I told him the full story about Sensei and my friends. And he listened really carefully to, to the story. And he told me. Listen, Max, um, I know it can seem to be a good idea to start a company, but I've done the same when I was 16, and that was not a good idea to start a company as, at this age. And I, can, I really want to help you, but I don't think that it's a good idea to set up a company. But what we can do is that I can brought you to Silicon Valley and like I can introduce you to, to some people that will give you good advice about what to do with this technology. And I was like, oh, <laughs> awesome, yes. And what he do is that he started inviting me uh, every weekend so we can talk about the project and he was giving me some advice and he was convinc convincing me that creating a company wasn't a good idea and i remember the first lunch with him i was like so excited and he told me about his story and and i was really impressed and he told me did you have a passport and i say yes and he say 
do you want to meet the CEO of Core? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, cool. And what about like meeting CEO of Oculus? And I said, yeah, <laughs> that could be fun. And he said, okay, so le let's say in one month, tell to your parents that I will boot you to Silicon Valley. Wow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he met my mother. He met, and my mother was like, who is this guy? So my mother met him and all my brother and my family. And they said, okay, you can go with him. And then we went to Silicon Valley. And he introduced me to a lot of really friendly people. And it was an amazing moment. Um, and I, uh, I understand that it... <laughs> it wasn't a good idea to start a company and that I can help by pulling the project open source. Hmm. And this is Usama Amar who done the introduction with uh, Atman Binstock. And Atman Binstock gave you this advice to open source it. Yeah. But to be honest, there is three people who give me this advice. Uh, Usama Amar, mm -hmm. uh, Atman Binstock and Dorian Carroll which is a VP uh, product of Amazon Mobile. And I've met him, in, her, in Silicon Valley with Usama. And I remember this because it was really moving. He told me his story and, and he started explaining me, oh, this code, even if it's not perfect, is not the same as an Oculus, that even if it's not as good as Oculus, there is obviously some people somewhere in Earth that will find that this code is cool and that this code will obviously help at least some people somewhere. Mm. Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, you know, right. If it's not Oculus, obviously they've got, you know, a lots of, you know, many engineers behind that, a lot of, you know, maybe several yeah. senseis, you know, and you know, so they've got, they've got something up on you, obviously, but it doesn't mean it's not valuable. You know, that doesn't mean what you did isn't worth something to the world, you know? Yeah. And let me also add that I, I'm, I'm in agreement around the, the starting the company. I think you receive mm -hmm. great advice all around because, and we don't necessarily want to focus, you know, all about your age for this conversation because there's merit to what you're doing regardless of your age. But I mean, you're 16 years old. You can, you'll have your entire adult life to start companies and like go down that path. There's no need to rush into that. And I think the, yeah. the end result of what you've accomplished is amazing. And the fact that it's open and freely available and you're following this desire to democratize VR and you have this group of people in the fellowship, it's so cool what you're doing. And none of that would have happened at the scale it's happening at if you kept it proprietary and tried to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And you probably would have driven your parents crazy. Or um, <laughs> no, my, no. My, my father was an EP. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, maybe not. That. So he's like, "Do you want to open source it?" Okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's tell us about your sensei's um, thoughts and you know his feelings through all this? Because this is an amazing story of you flying to Silicon Valley and you know rubbing shoulders with all of these important you know technology people and getting this advice from the the chief architect the oculus it has to just tickle him you know to have inspired this turn of events in your life that have led to you know such fortune in terms of your education and experience um was he a, has he been involved all along the way yeah um you really try to help us uh i don't know if the if this word can be used but grow like grow. as a person yeah. yes and not only not only in the scientific way but it teaches like for example um some of my best friends i've met meet them thanks to sensei because he not only created those kind of perfect ecosystem for learning math. He also created a tabletop role play uh, club. Oh. 
and we went to this club and it was really amazing to be with but by the way sensei was the master of the game on the tabletop game <laughs> it sounds a bit strange um <laughs> No. Does that mean he's the best, or does that mean he was in charge? No, he's the, the no, DM. Uh, you know, when you play tabletop game, there is the I don't know the word in English, so I can try MC. to yeah, MC exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the dungeon master. Yeah, exactly. Dungeon master. Now, Jared. Okay, so everybody listening to this can tell that you grew up in the 80s just because you said that i mean like we had that game when we were kids dungeon dungeons no, and dragons it, right dungeon master you're showing how out of touch you are because that game is still very much alive and people still very much play it they still play yeah. it absolutely wow okay i am out of touch then <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that like dm didn't mean twitter dms or something or like whatever well, it's, it's, it's overloaded dungeon master. operator overload but yeah it definitely still means dungeon <sighs> okay well, so well. Let me say say this, Max. First of all, the next time I'm in France, I'm stopping by to hang out with you and Sensei and the whole team because I would love to yeah. just play tabletop games with you guys. Like <laughs> that would be awesome. It sounds like an awesome scenario. Um, yeah. And then, secondly, I wanna I wanna point out what you say in the section about open sourcing, just to get back to the story with uh, you know Atman Binstock giving you the advice and this whirlwind tour of rubbing shoulders with bigwigs and you decide to open source it and what you say and i think we've all had this feeling <laughs> when we go to open source something is that you deleted all the code and mm. you started rewriting <laughs> it from scratch yeah. Yeah. when you decided tell me tell us about that yeah i, I remember uh, it, it was on a uber with usama amar in san francisco and i said you know what usama i will open source everything and he said, cool, what is the first step? Deleting all the code. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, there is some mistake in the code. <laughs> and yeah, it will be easier if I delete it. <laughs> and it was because... The first version of the code was really Ruth. Yeah. Ruth. Right. And the new one, still a bit Ruth, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a little bit better. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it took a little bit of time to rewrite everything from scratch. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if it was really worth it to do this because for the moment, I, I'm not really sure that it has been helpful, but uh, yeah. I, you know, I hope, but I'm not sure. Well, the industry experience with a big rewrite in software development is that it's rarely ever worth the effort. Okay. Even though it always sounds like the right idea when you're in a certain circumstance, that rewriting everything from scratch uh, rarely pays off. Every once in a while it will, but uh, rarely it does, so... In your case, maybe it was a small enough project at the time and the investment in rewriting, you know, wasn't too much. I don't know how how many weeks or months you spent rewriting, but yeah, we often find that the thing that we come up with the second time is either never finishes or is better, but not worth, you know, the six months, 12 yeah. months that it took. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it was that much needed to do that, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it was an experience. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Well, tell us where we're where you're going from here. You have the fellowship. You have your your buddies. You're still, I'm assuming, you're still in high school. Um, yeah. But you have this this goal of democratizing VR, and you mentioned the next step, which is really getting it to run the Steam, yeah. uh, the Steam games, and that that'll be a big step. Um, but what else do you have? I mean, do you have you been thinking down the road and where you're going to take relative from here? Um. I think there is two issues with the headset. Um, the first one is that the headset is a bit ugly. <laughs> um, and the second one is that it's a bit hard to set up. The second one is maybe not a big deal because for the moment we focus on developers 
and for them it's it's it, it's really i think it's easy to build uh the headset uh but even knowing that uh i want to improve the setup of the headset to make it a little bit more easy and after done this uh what we will do is to try to improve the design of the headset and then some optimization in the core headset. For the moment, the roadmap is the following. We focus on Steam VR compatibility, then creating all the, res the resources to help everyone creating his own headset. We plan to shoot a video, to release a wiki, and some resources to make the build of the headset even easier. And then uh, if you have any suggestion, like <laughs> you can join the fellow and give us some idea. For the moment, the roadmap is short term. Uh, it's focused on Steam VR and easability to set up. Yeah, on that note, I was thinking about the, the casing it's in. And I, it, you may have said this, but I, I don't see the list. So we didn't go over it, but I'm curious because you like to go into different routes that you've never gone before and learn new things. Have you considered, you know, maybe 3D printing your your headset rather than buying a kit or anything around printing parts? Um, the the main case has been 3D printed. Mm. Uh, and One step ahead of you, Adam. There he is. I, it seemed like it was 3D printed. That was always curious, like, because it's not a list. Yeah. Uh, it's not on the list of the component. No. Oh no. Yeah, it's Here. it's on the building the hardware. I think. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. It's under building the hardware. Okay. Uh, yeah. Some people told us that they feel like the headset is a little bit too big, so we will try to improve something on both the design. Well, look at that right there. Building the hardware. He's got all these files. I'm assuming are in the repo. Mm -hmm. for 3D printing this this uh, that part too. We missed that. I missed yeah. that. Did you miss that, Jared? I I read it, but I didn't I did, mention You didn't it. comprehend that it was yeah. part of printing the hardware? No, I did, but I just didn't. I just I guess I didn't focus on it gotcha. in my mind. I was just mm -hmm. thinking, like, what's next to do here? It's like, oh, let's, let's tinker with printing our own parts. Done it. Done it. <laughs> Done it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Anything further down the road? I mean, you, you mentioned short term, which is, you know, integrating with Steam and offering that, you, you know, you're young. Do you have a plan to kind of keep this vibrant for many years? Is this, you know, just a fun project? You know, where, where I know you're taking advice from smarter people than Jared and I, but where do you see this going in like two years, three years from now? Do you plan to keep working on it until it's just done or, or what's your plan? Oh, uh, for me, it's absolutely not done and the long-term goal is to have a, a simple website where you can just click and buy your own diy kit uh, like for example you buy uh, some 3d printed parts on 3d hubs uh, some component uh, making the process that's much easy that even non-technical people can do it and because the goal is democratizing VR, all the work on maintaining this project will be to always keep updating the project as VR evolves. Like if something new come out, came out in VR, we will try to replicate it in an open source way. And that is the long goal term of this project. Mm. Having a community that when the company is realizing something in VR, we replicate it in open source and we publish it. Uh, for example, a uh, lot of companies are working on A tracking. That is one of the things that we will work on. Um, and when something new will come out, come out, we will update the project to always try to democratize all the f elementary things about the VR. Very cool. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and just kind of sharing the story. I mean, it, it's, it's such an interesting story. You're, you're have such a rich life already at a young age. I can't wait to see what you do, you know, when you're Jared Ryan's age. Uh, so exciting. So exciting. Thanks a lot for having me. That was really cool. Thank you for tuning in this week. This has been another episode of The Change Log. If you enjoyed the show, if this inspired you, do us a favor, share it with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts, go on Twitter, tweet about it, whatever. And thank you to our sponsors, Rollbar, Linode, and GCP Podcast. And Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly, so head to fastly.com to learn more. Air monitoring is by Rollbar. Go to rollbar.com. And everything we do is hosted on Linode cloud servers. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stokowiak, and Jared Santo. Editing is by Jonathan Youngblood. And the music you hear is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Thanks for listening.